We are uh, in a series, it's called uh, No Fear November, and it's, it's less of a series, and honestly, it's more kind of a two-part sermon, okay? So we had part one last week, and if you weren't with us, I'm going to catch you up a little bit. We all have fears, right? Some of them are a little different. Some of you are deathly afraid of spiders, maybe, snakes, clowns, thank you. Uh, we found out some people are even afraid of belly buttons. They do get linty sometimes. And uh, I am publicly afraid of dancing. I am never going to dance in front of you. It, it will take, it's just not going to happen. I'm not a dancer. In fact, we made a list of things that we're afraid of. And we started listing those things out. And, and maybe you remember some of those uh, as well. But what we talked about is that, that God doesn't want us to live in fear. In fact, all throughout the Bible, he talks about it over and over again. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. From the beginning to the end, he talks about this, how we shouldn't be afraid. In fact, Jesus gives 121 imperatives or commands throughout his teaching. 21 of those are about fear. Don't fear. Do not take heart. And so this is very important to, to God, and it's very important to Jesus that fear would not rule our lives. In fact, we talk about how we could... We can combat fear, and we do that with faith. And I've thought about this this week. Uh, there was a phrase that we use. There's a direct correlation between your level of fear and your level of faith. So I've kind of really thought about it as a seesaw. Okay, Think about a seesaw. When your, your fear is high, your faith is low. But when your faith is high, your, your fear is low. And we combat this fear in our lives with faith. And the verse that we talked about all last week, maybe you remember it. Do you, does anybody remember it? Quiz time. Hopefully you memorized it. It was 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7. And it goes like this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and, I'm cheating, I'm giving it to you on the screen here, timidity, but of love and self-discipline. He has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So if you didn't learn it last week, learn it this week. But that's really the spirit of what we're talking about here. Now, we're going to look at someone this morning that really had all kinds of fears. Uh, it's a story that you're probably familiar with, but it's kind of nice, as I've learned, that it's nice to watch somebody else deal with their fears than for us, okay? It's kind of nice to see someone else deal with problems and things. In fact, if you are a Jimmy Fallon fan, a couple of months back, uh, Kevin Hart, the comedian, do you know who Kevin Hart is? A short African-American comedian. He's just really energetic guy. Uh, his greatest fear is heights and going on roller coasters. Did you see that video? And Jimmy got him on a roller coaster and ah, just went crazy. And not only did it once, but he had the operator go around the second time again. It's fantastic. Very funny stuff. We, watch, we like to watch other people face their fears, but not so much for us. So we're going we're gonna to watch somebody face their fears this morning. This guy named Moses. Very familiar story. If you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is where we're going to land. But to give you kind of the background, most of you know this, but, but Moses, he grew up in Egypt. And at the time, uh, the Israelites were, were slaves to the Egyptians. And there was a Pharaoh there that he wanted, uh, he didn't want the Israelites to come up in power. He was afraid of the Israelites. And so he actually, the, the, the male babies that were born, he would have those killed. 
He would have those babies killed, afraid that they might uh, uprise and take over. And so these babies were being killed. Uh, Moses uh, was born, his mother and his, and his sister, remember the story, put him in a, in a basket, put him down the, what's the river in Egypt, you with me? The Nile River, and they go down the Nile, and what happens? Pharaoh's daughter picks him, picks him out of the, the, the river, and he, she begins to raise him as her own. And he becomes a part of, the, of Pharaoh's family, the, the royal family. And he's a part of this, this family, and, and uh, one day he, he goes out and he visits his, his people, the Israelites, the Hebrew people. And he watches one of the, the Egyptians, a slave master, he actually was being abusive to one of the, the workers. And so what happens? Remember, Moses intervenes and he actually kills the slave driver. He tries to cover up the evidence. He covers up the body. But someone saw, someone found out. One of the, the other servants, the other Hebrew slaves saw what had happened. And eventually Pharaoh found out. When Pharaoh found out, Moses was going to be a goner. And so he takes off. He runs away. He's scared to death. Pharaoh's trying to kill him. And what happens? Moses runs away to this little town called Midian. And it's there where he begins to really start life over again. He meets a woman, uh, Zipporah, and uh, he becomes a sheep herder out in this mountainous region of Midian. You remember the story? And he just kind of gets away from all of it, runs away, and just goes to this secluded place, this Midian. So that's where we pick it up. Uh, and if you have your Bible, Exodus 3, 4 through 10. If you don't, it's on the screen. And here's what it says. When the Lord saw Moses, because... Just the, the last thing in this little journey, he's up into the mountains. He gets into the mountains and he sees something. You remember what he sees? He sees this burning bush. A bush, but the burning bush is not being consumed. This, this flame around this, it's amazing sight. And then the Lord saw Moses, verse 4, coming closer to take a look. And God called to him from the middle of the bush. Now, Internally, what's your best like God voice here? I always think James Earl Jones here, but I don't have that kind of voice, the deep voice, Moses. I don't have it. I wish I did. But here's God's voice, Moses, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. And the Lord says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You remember this. For you are standing now on holy ground. In the presence of God, it's holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land full or flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, wow, uh, now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of 
Egypt. What an amazing moment. Can you imagine being there? A burning bush, the booming voice of God. He tells them, your people have been oppressed for years and years. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to bring them out, and you are going to be the one to do it. You're going to be my mouthpiece. You're going to represent me. You're going to speak for me. You are going to be the one to lead. Now, we have this amazing moment. We have this God moment. But what's Moses' response? Do you remember? It's not like that, we're taking them kind of thing. Something else happens. Let's take a look at that. Moses' first response here is this. But Moses, what's the word? Protested to God. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? You know, this is a moment for Moses as he has this amazing thing happen to him, this amazing God moment. And his first response is what? It's fear. He's scared to death. And I I just put myself in his sandals or not in the sandals in this moment. And he's thinking, you don't understand, God. I just came from there. And you know what? I was a part of Pharaoh's family. And they're trying to kill me. And for the 20 years before that, I was, a, I was the one that was doing the killing. I was the one that was a part of Pharaoh's family. Neither side wants to see me. In fact, that is something I never want to go back to. That's a past that I don't want to have anything to do with. Now, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of us that have past. In fact, everyone has a past. Have you ever been haunted by it? Have you ever thought about the things in your past and they just, honestly, they scare you to death? They, they, they make you just fearful of, of, of what maybe someone will find out. What if people know about it? You know, we all, as I was thinking about this week, I, I was kind of looking around on my hands and I, I noticed a, a scar too on my, 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 my wrist here. And I actually have a scar that is right on my knee. It's, it's my left knee. There was this massive dog in my neighborhood. Think the Sandlot dog, the you know, just huge dog that ah, ate the baseball and the whole thing. He's on the other road, and we would never go to the other road because the owner always had the dog out. And he would just run around the neighborhood. And so we just avoided that street completely. Well, one day I had to go. I needed to go visit a friend. He had a Nintendo. I did not, okay? And so that was a qualifying thing to go to someone's house. I thought, figured if I could just sneak past the dog on my bike, I got about halfway past the house, and suddenly, and this dog is like nipping at my, my ankle, and, and I am flying as fast as I can go on my little huffy bike, and get to the end of the street. I tried to take the curve, took it too fast, ran right into a fence. Bam. My knee just splits open right there in some stranger's yard. And there the dog is. I'm just covering my head, ready for this dog to just, you know, bite into my head. And what happens? He just looks at me, snorts, and turns around and goes back. And my knee is just exploded, and I'm crying. And, and I can look at my knee, and I think of that story every time. Now, some of us have scars. Some of us think back, and they're not dog stories. There are some scars for some pretty painful times in our lives, places that we just don't want to go back to. And when we allow our past and our fear, because 
But it's Moses' fear created by this, this past and these, these feelings of insufficiency and unworthiness. They create, they create a wall, our fears do. And this wall keeps us from going certain places. They establish limits in our lives, these boundaries, these places that we won't cross. And so we see it again in Exodus 3.13. Moses comes back to God and he says this, if, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? What should I tell them, God? Now, this is another fear that Moses just jumps up at us. When he says, his, basically his fear is this, it's doubt. It's uncertainty. It's the fear of the unknown. Who are you, God? I don't even know who you are. How, how can I trust you? I don't, I don't know what's to come. And honestly, there's some people that probably have that fear. It's the, the fear that, you know, who is this God? Can I even trust this God? Who is he? Should I believe him? Does he even have the power to make a difference in my life or in the life of someone else? And another wall goes up. In Exodus 4, 1, Moses says this, but Moses protested again, what if they don't believe me or they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? God, what if they reject me? What if they reject me? I come to them and I say all these things and they just, they reject me. Now, scholars tell us that you are born with two fears. Okay, everyone is born with the two same fears. You know what those are as a baby? The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So babies are born with those two basic fears. Okay? But we begin to build fears, don't we? And one of the greatest fears that our students face today, and we all face, let's be honest, it doesn't go away when they're teenagers, is the fear of rejection be rejected. And pressure is all around. You know, what if they, they say things about me? What if they this or what if they that? What, what? And it begins to, to dictate who we are and pressure us to be place, people that we don't even want to be sometimes. And just a thought, I'm just going to throw this out to teenagers. This might be the one thing you remember today. I am going to have my 20th anniversary next year uh, for high school. Scary. 20th anniversary for high school. I am not friends with a single person that I went to high school with, okay? So the people that oftentimes you're most worried about what they think and how they, they'll act and what they'll do, the future most often doesn't even have them present in, your, in our lives. I think a lot of us would, would say that. But there are people in our lives that are, are forcing us to be something that God hasn't called us to be. And this fear of rejection is, is there, and then there's the last one. In uh, Exodus uh, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says this. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. My words get tangled. And here is this, this last wall from Moses. This wall that's created by a fear of being unqualified. I don't have the ability. I'm not qualified to do, God, what you're telling me or asking me to do. I don't have the capabilities. I can't, God. I just can't. And I have to be honest with you, this is where I live sometimes. This is where I live. You see, when I was called to ministry many years ago now, I really ran away from the Lord. And I went through these, this conversation with God, there's no way you could be calling me 
to be in ministry. To, to be full-time ministry, that's crazy. I don't sing, first of all. I don't really like kids all that much. Don't see a children's pastor uh, position in the, in the forecast there. And I am scared to death to speak in front of people. In fact, when I was a teenager, growing up in youth group, there was something that would happen to me when I would speak just in Sunday school class of 10 people. My face would just be on fire, red, and just begin to sweat profusely. I would wear a lot of sweaters back then, even in July in like South Carolina, okay? The cardigan I was sporting because just the sweating, I would profusely, and, and words would have a hard time coming out, of my mouth, even the things that I wanted to say. And I feel like that a lot of times people, God is calling them to something great and do something amazing. I can't do that, God. There's no way. There's no way that I can. In fact, it gets to the crescendo of the moment with Moses, and he says this, 13, Lord, please send anyone else but me. Send anyone else but me, God. And I think the truth is for Moses, he really wanted to see his people freed. He really wanted to see people's lives changed and rescued, but here he is in that moment. Anybody else, God? Anybody else but me? There was this, uh, there's this director named M. Night Shyamalan. You remember that name? He did several movies. He was pretty hot for a while. It was uh, what was about the, the one kid I see dead people around me, the name of that one? Sixth Sense, thank you. The best one that probably he's, he, he directed was The Sixth Sense. You remember that movie, Bruce Willis, and at the end you're like, oh, he's been dead the whole time. Uh, that was the twist, because this director is known for just these twists that he would have in movies. And, and that was kind of, that's kind of his thing. Where there was a movie that, it honestly didn't get great ratings, the people didn't care for it that much, it was okay. But the more I think about it, it's a very, very interesting movie. It's called The Village. Anybody see The Village? All right, I'm going to give it away right here, okay? So I'm sorry, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it in the last 11 years, sorry. Uh, you missed it, all right? So here's the story. The, the, it's set in the 1800s, okay? 1800s, and there are these colonial houses in this little village, and uh, the people are there, and they have the outfits and the whole thing, and it's just a, a simple life. Think kind of uh, a Amish kind of scene, if you, you have need a visual in your mind here, and the people are living in this little town. It's, it, it seems like about 40 to 60 people of different families along the way, and, and life seems to be great. It's just this village uh, of houses. It, it's in the middle of the woods, and in the middle of this, this, this plot, you find out that, that outside of the village... In the woods, there are these scary beings that live out there. We don't know what they are. It's kind of a mystery that's out there. But these scary human-eating animals are out there. And so it's a horror movie. You're in suspense the whole time. What are these people? What, what are these things that are out there? And you're just scared, and you're waiting for these moments of these things to jump out and grab someone. In fact, there are different moments where, like, animals are skinned and die, and, and different things happen, and the people are just, they will not go out into the woods because it's scary out there. And one thing after another happens, just builds a suspense until finally something happens in the village. One of the, 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 the kids in the village actually hurts another kid, another actually younger, a, a young man. 
and there's a stabbing incident. And so it's a little frightening there. And this, this young man who's been stabbed needs medical attention, needs medical attention. And, and the, inside the village, they don't have the supplies necessary to save this young man. Now, there's the thought of, well, we, do we go out? Do we go out into the woods and find? Because there's these rumors of other villages that are out there. But those villagers, they're bad. They're evil. We can't go to those other villages because if we do, first of all, the monsters in the woods will get us and the people will reject us. They will reject us. But there's this one girl. She's in love with the young man and she's willing to do anything to help. She's actually blind. And so she goes out into the woods against kind of the orders of the people because they just basically would say, hey, let's just let him, let's let him die in the village. But she goes out into the woods and she gets past, there's this encounter where one of the, the things comes out and, and falls into a hole. And uh, she goes out and goes out and seeks help. And here's the twist. She comes to the end and she finds a brick wall. And on the other side of the brick wall is a highway of cars. They're cars. There's, wait a second, 18th century, are you with me here? And what happened was there was a small group of families, people that had met at a counseling center, people that had experienced hurt and pain in their lives and said, you know what? How about we create a village, a place where we can get away from the evil of the world, all the pain of the world. We can get away from the greed of money and the, the hurt that people cause each other and we'll create a place, a safe place where no one can get in and no one can hurt us. We'll create even walls. And the person who was involved in the project was very wealthy and even created a, a system where they paid the airlines not to fly over the area so that people, the kids, wouldn't know about those places or know about this technology or these things. I watched that movie, and as I, the twist kind of comes to the end, and I go, my goodness, that, that's pretty crazy. I can't believe people, people believe would, would, would do that kind of thing. And the more that I think about it, oh, yeah, the people in the woods, it was the original villagers. They would dress up in these costumes to just scare people to stay in the village. The more I think about how crazy that is, there's a part of me that, that thinks, this small part, that's kind of appealing. Just kind of get away from all the, the evil and the, the pain in the world. Even technology that distracts and the things, even other people, I just, just space away from all of that would be kind of nice. It would be a lot, it'd be a lot safer be a lot safer. But God has not called us to safety and to live in a fearless life where we're trapped in a place. In fact, remember that quote from last, last week? It's really been on my mind this week. It's from Max Lucado. And it says this, when fears shape our lives and safety becomes our God, when safety becomes our God, uh, we worship the risk-free life. Can the safety lover do anything great? Can the risk-averse accomplish noble deeds? For God, for others, no. The fear-filled cannot love deeply. 
cannot, love is, is, is risky. There's a, a chance that you take it in, in love and when you give and you make yourself vulnerable to others. They cannot give to the poor. Benevolence has no guarantee of return. The fear field cannot dream wildly. What if their dreams sputter and fall from the sky? The worship of safety emasculates greatness. God has called you and I to a mission. And our mission in the world, it says this beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, you are God's ambassadors in the world. And you have a message. And the message is there is a God that is for you. He is not against you. He is a God that wants to reconcile you, to forgive you, not count your sins against you. We are the light of the world. But light cannot be seen behind walls, can it? can't. And God knows this, and Moses knows this. And it's had me thinking this week, what if, you know, what if Noah would have not obeyed God and built an ark, and he just played it safe and, and listened to the people around him? What if, you know, what the disciples, they chose to just stay where they were and not to leave in their nets and just chose safety? What if, what if Paul took protection over sharing the good news of Jesus? What if Jesus himself chose safety over the cross. Wow. So what is God's answer to these things that Moses says? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of my insufficiencies, God. So his, his answer is what? I will be with you. I will be with you. You're not going alone. You don't have to face the past alone. My grace is sufficient for you. And when he takes that and you believe that, and when Moses believed that, a wall comes down. What does he, what does he say again? He says, says, God, I don't even know who you are. Who are you, God? I'm not sufficient. I don't even know if you are. What's God's answer to that? God's answer is this, I am the Lord. I am who I am. I am the Redeemer. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is he saying there? Think back. Remember who I am. I am the provider. I am the creator. I am the restorer, the restorer of homes, the restorer of lives, and the restorer of hearts. And I am your Redeemer, and I am with you. And so, when you believe that, Another wall comes down. What's the third protest? He says this. This is fear of rejection. What if they don't believe me? What if I go and I share the gospel? What if I share the, the good news? Share, talk about Jesus with someone. What if they don't believe? What if they reject me? How will they know? Do you remember the story? What does God say? There's three things he says. He says, take that staff of yours, throw it down, and it'll become a a snake, and then pick it back up, it becomes a staff again. Put your hand in your coat, that's not your coat, your coat, and there's a disease on your hand, put it back in, and it goes away. Take some water from the Nile, pour it out, show to the people, and it's what? Becomes blood. Show the people my power. You know how we convince people that this is legit, that this is real, that God is for us, that, that he has changed our lives? You do it by showing them a changed life. 
and a changed life, a heart. You do that by showing people your story and tell them what God has done for you. They need to see it. We all need to see it. The reason why a lot of us came to faith is because we saw it in someone else. That's real. I want to know more about that. We need to show people. And there's this last thing. He said, God, I'm, I, just, I just can't. I'm not capable. I, I'm not equipped to do this, God. And God's response is, is so swift. Who makes a person's mouth? I have gifted you. I have equipped you. I have called you. Who I have called, I have equipped. And in Ephesians 2, it says this. It's a powerful verse. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. And when we believe that the God who calls is the God that's going to help you, he's going to give you words. He's going to give you moments that we can take advantage of, moments that we can love others and we can tell the good news to others. When we believe that, another wall comes down. Another wall comes down. Our greatest mission in this world is to be the voice of God, to be ambassadors of God. Now, I know that really freaks some of us out. I, you don't understand. You don't understand what's in my past. You don't understand who I am. You don't understand what I've done. I'm not capable of doing it. But our God is the one that will enable us. Our God's grace is sufficient for us, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. And so, how can we do this? How can we do this? You know what I love? I love a good invitation. I love to be invited to things. I kind of get my feelings hurt when I don't get invited to things. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, you know, maybe this goes back to when I was a kid and I didn't get to get invited to, you know, Bobby's birthday party. I don't know. But uh, I like to be invited to things. It's just nice when you get invitations. Sometimes we can't always go to things, but it's nice to be invited. Uh, and so what I propose to you today is this. I think we should invite some people to some things. You know, the first thing I think, you know, we need to invite people to church. You know, it's okay to invite people to church. It's okay, all right? In fact, you know what we do around here? We intentionally sometimes do a few crazy things so that you can imagine what the, the good news and the, the, the gospel, what the word says to us. We try to bring your imagination into things. We try to create events. We talked about them earlier. Things like Christmas in the park. When we say, hey, we're going to take the good news to people. We're going to give you an easy invite. Hey, come play some football. Come eat some food. Come watch the Texans lose. You know they will. <laughs> come, come hang out with us. We're normal people. We're not perfect people, are we? We're normal people. But God has done something for us. We'd love for you to join us. It's an invitation to church. It's an invitation for people to view your life. Now here it gets a little scary. Look at my life. Check out my story. I'm gonna live transparently in front of you. That means you can see everything about me. I'm not gonna hide anything. Because you know when we hide things, darkness in our life, when we're afraid to show people things, maybe that should be kind of a red flag to us. Why are we afraid to show somebody our life? Is there something in our life that that we are hiding, that we shouldn't be. You know, we should be an open book to the, to the world. And, and sometimes that means this, I don't know. 
I don't, I don't always have the answers for why this happened or that happened. And I don't think we're supposed to know all the answers. God is very complex, but we're in this journey with God, this relationship with God where we're seeking him. And we become just an, an open invitation to others to look at our life. And, and the question maybe is this. Has God transformed you? Has God really transformed your life? Are you a demonstration of God's power? Or are you just playing church? And you attend church and you come to church and church is a part of your life. But God hasn't really done anything to your heart or changed anything about your life. Or maybe the way you think or the way you act or the way you speak? Has God really changed you? So that's a question for us to think. If Can you invite somebody in your life? And maybe you, you should with that, that challenge in mind. And the last, there's two more, but invite others, invite yourself into others' lives. Now here's where it gets a little tricky. Invite yourself into other people's life. Now, nobody's going to invite themselves over. I'm gonna come over to your house and hang out. We're not talking about just like, pushing yourself onto others. But I found it pretty uh, powerful when somebody says something as simple, hey, can I, can I pray for you? I know that you're, it seems like you're going through a lot, maybe at work, coworker, a friend. I, I would love to just pray for you. And, and maybe right there on the spot, but maybe just, hey, is there anything I can do to help you? There was a, a we went through a tough situation uh, the last several months. Um, Melanie was in the process of of looking for a job. She's been a, a teacher for a lot of years. She took some time off to, to be with our kids and uh, really found it difficult to get back into the, the school system and to get back into to teaching and to find the, the right place uh, for that. And we went through several kind of dead-end possibilities there. And we're really kind of getting frustrated. And, and, and coupled with that frustration, kind of the financial stress of only having a one paycheck that was there, and so Melanie got an opportunity to basically long-term sub at a, a school, Hopper Middle School. And uh, when you long-term sub, basically they said, you know what, if you can pass the generalist test, which is uh, a test for middle school teachers, you have to be proficient in a whole bunch of different areas. If you can pass that, then we're going to offer you a position, in a, a full-time position in a contract. Well, long-term sub basically was equivalent to the amount that we are paying for babysitting for childcare. And so Melanie was working for the first couple of months for nothing. In fact, we were probably losing a little bit, if we're going to be honest, until she could take the generalist test. Well, she goes to study for this test and finds out in the practice test that this test is unbelievably difficult. In fact, there's parts of calculus on this test and Texas history and all kinds of things that are, that are on there. But the math part was just ridiculously hard. I I mean, I took calculus, pre-cal in, in high school. I could not, I, I didn't, it looked like hieroglyphics, some of the problems that I saw on the, the practice test. We, we, we got some people for read, try, was helping her out, and it just was like, you can take an entire college course on this, and it's it, probably not going to happen here. And so the fear and the worry, what if I don't pass this? What, what? She goes to take it, and she called me. And we were both... I'm just praying for, for something good to happen there. And just, you know, maybe, just maybe. And when she called, I just knew in her voice it wasn't good. And uh, so we went through the waiting period of, of trying to get the test back. So in, the, in, in that, she goes to the office. She's talking to an AP and, and basically, you know, confesses that it, it went terribly. 
just as bad as she, she thought it could, and, and uh, that she probably is going to have to reschedule it in, in a, several months or several weeks. So she goes back to her, her office and to her desk, and she gets this email message from a woman that she works with, a woman that we don't know for sure at the time. She even knew she was a Christian or knew that she was a pastor's wife, and basically this email was a prayer, a prayer saying, I believe in you. I pray and I know that God's going to give you peace in the results and that God is going to be with you. And this is an amazing email, a blessing email. Really, we felt like it was a godsend email. And of course, the good news is that a couple days later, what? She passes. And not only did she pass, she like destroyed the math part and did amazing at it. Uh, and got a job uh, as, as a full-time position. Yeah. You have a chance to be a blessing to someone. But to do that, it's going to take getting past some fears and be willing to, to help and to walk into people's lives sometimes. We're at this camping trip with Robert uh, Sumter. We're on this camping trip. And we're, we're, we're going to get ready to go. And there's this guy that his motorcycle, it broke down. And, you know, Robert's thinking, he's trying to help this guy with his motorcycle. And uh, before you know it, he comes back to our group and says, you know what? This guy, he, he lives, uh, you know, just outside of San Antonio. I'm going to put his motorcycle. We were at Big Bend National Park. I'm going to put his motorcycle in the back of my truck. And I'm going to take him to Kerrville and drop his motorcycle off. And immediately, you know what came to mind? What if this guy is an axe murderer? Okay? So, Robert, Mr. Ray, axe murderer in the truck, okay? And Robert's taking this. That's nowhere near the way we came, by the way. And he takes him to Kerrville, and he drops his motorcycle off. And here's the kicker. The whole time, the guy is trying to share Jesus with the two of them uh, the whole way, all right? Sometimes it takes getting out of your comfort zone. The last invitation is this. It's an invitation to the table. All this week is about table, isn't it? Thanksgiving is all about the table. We're focused on one day, Thursday. Today we'll all come together with family and friends, inviting people to the table. Now, now what did Jesus get accused of the most, a lot of, when he was, it, it was doing ministry? You eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like, look who you hang out with, Jesus. Jesus, for the, the table was a big deal to Jesus when he would sit down with, with people. An invitation to your table is a big deal. You know what I thought about this week? I find myself eating with the same people, the same circle of people that sometimes I'm comfortable with. Lunches, weekends, Family meals. When we lived in Florida, there was this family, and they would invite us. Anytime there was a special meal, we didn't have family in town. They would invite us to Easter meal or sometimes a Thanksgiving or a special meal together, and we were a part of their family. Who do you need to invite to your table? Maybe this Thanksgiving, maybe a holiday, but maybe during the week. Maybe it's a coworker. You say, hey, let's, let's go grab some lunch together. It's a big step. But it's, it's a great step. Who do you need to invite to, to share life with, to break bread with? Because this isn't just about food, people. This is about so much more than that.
In fact, Jesus, we said he was all about tables. There was a night that he gathered with his disciples. Some of, all of them, except for one, I believe, would turn their backs on him. Peter would deny him three times, and he was at the table with each one of them. And he, would, he broke bread, and, and he had a meal together. And today, today we have an invitation for you. It's an invitation to come to the table. It's a table of grace. That's what this table is all about, and that's what the Lord's table is all about. Where he says this, my grace is sufficient for you. Your past is not bigger than my love. You are forgiven. You have a hope and you have a future and I want to use you. I want to use you. You're gonna be my mouthpiece in the world and I want you to tell others about me. So I've invited some people to help me serve this morning. They're, they're gonna come up and... Uh, in our church, we believe that communion, uh, you don't have to be a member of our church. We just uh, believe that uh, we, it's a celebration of grace. And we do ask you to take a few minutes and to think and to reflect. Maybe it's a moment where you need to, to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness over some things that you need to confess. And you want to do that before you come to the table today. Maybe it's a day where you need to say, you know what, my fear has ruled my life. And I know that God's called me to do things or to say things. And I'm just staying in a place of safety. I'm just going to play it safe. It's kind of symbolic today, to be honest, that you're going to walk over your walls of fear to get to the table. It takes a step, a step of faith, encouragement. Maybe God's telling you today as, as you're pondering, you're thinking, you're praying, who do you need to invite into your life, to your table? Who do you need to share this good news with? So take a few minutes, reflect, and then you're going to head up. You take the bread. We, you take by intention, and it's basically take a piece of bread, you dip it in the, in the cup, and then you receive with thanksgiving. So we're reminded that on the night at which our Lord was betrayed, he took some bread, he broke it, and he offered thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took a cup, and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And as the servers are coming up, here's just my, my thoughts on, on communion. Can I share something? Maybe a wild thought. I kind of think that as disciples of Jesus, when he tells us this, when we gather together, do this in remembrance of me, I don't think it's just limited to moments like this. I kind of think it's when we get to the table on Thursday or Tuesday or whenever, and when you stop right before a meal, you know how we just kind of fly through prayer sometimes? When we break bread together, we remember and we take a little, maybe a little smile, and we're thankful for God's grace. And so, we invite you to the table today. Come, and let's celebrate His grace in our lives.